Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, give me grace. I ask for mercy. I ask, Lord, for the strength to share openly and honestly. For, Lord, I need your love. I need your love more than ever. And I look to you for strength. Lord, I pray for all those who are um, with me today, listening, and ask for special graces upon uh, some dear sweet friends who uh, bury today their uh, four-year-old son uh, who died in a tragic accident. Lord, I, I pray for our little John uh, that he be enjoying uh, the sweet fulfillment of life together with you in heaven. I do pray for comfort for um, the grieving mom and dad in their in their in all of his siblings. Jesus, may your tender mercies, the mercies that live in your heart, overflow uh, upon this family. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, so uh, please remember that family in prayer. That's a that's a hard thing to have a, a tragic accident take the life of a child, especially an innocent four-year-old boy. Um, what a what a tremendous suffering! What a deep sorrow! So please pray for them. Today is an important day. It is. It's the it's this beautiful solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus. Again, it's on the first Friday in the month of June. So today falls on this year. It falls on well this on this third. So today in the program, I am going to do three things. The first one is the shortest. Then the second is <laughs> the third one's going to be the longest. The first one is I want to I want to um, cover one passage in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 478, because it mentions the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The second is I'm going to cover one prayer. It's an act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I'm going to let you know right now, it is one of the hardest prayers that I've ever prayed, one of the most difficult prayers for me to pray. And when I was praying it yesterday, I was continually asking the Lord for forgiveness because of the way in which the words of this prayer were like a wall. And, or maybe the, that within me was a wall of resistance to this traditional prayer, this act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So we'll walk through that prayer. And then in the time that remains, we're going to cover the 12 promises to those who have a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. And so I'm excited to, to cover all of this content. Um, and why? Well, because of what you're going to hear about in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in this beautiful paragraph 478. I'm just going to read the paragraph, and then I'm going to dig into it a little bit with you in the hopes that you can have, through this, this beautiful teaching of the Church, through this beautiful devotion, you can come into contact with the beating heart of Christ for you, that you will know that there is no deeper sense of identity that you can find in this world than to say that I am one who is addressed by God in love through Jesus Christ. I am addressed by God in love through Jesus Christ. That gets at the essence of of who you are. That's more profound than anything else 
that is at work in your life is the fact that your very existence is an existence that is occurring because you are being loved right now, being loved into existence, being loved into this redeemed existence, being loved into this transformed, elevated existence into a child of God because you are being loved right now by God through Jesus Christ. So let's get to this passage, paragraph number 478, paragraph 478 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony, and his passion, and gave himself up for each one of us. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's from Galatians chapter 2. Jesus has loved us all with a human heart. For this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the Eternal Father and all human beings without exception. Did you hear that? (laughs) I mean, I want to say it again one more time, just because it's so rich and so profound and so striking that it's hard to take it all in. It's like taking in a whole meal um, in in a matter of two minutes. So I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to break it open and show how it is connected to your life today, your life today, right now as you're hearing my voice. Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony, and his passion, and gave himself up for each one of us. And then Galatians 2.20, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's St. Paul. Jesus has loved us all with a human heart. For this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the Eternal Father and all human beings without exception. I I mean, where do I begin? Well, I'll begin at the beginning. (laughs) There's so much to say. But I promised that this wouldn't be the longest portion of the program. So in order to take passages in the catechism like this and to draw out their personal implications, one of the things that I like to do is to take some of the us statements and make them me statements. You see, it's Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony, his passion, and gave himself up for each one of us, to make it even more personal, to draw you into the center of your own thought process around this reality. Listen to it again. Jesus knew and loved you. Jesus knew and loved you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, each of you. So you can make it even more personal. Jesus knew and loved me. When did he love me? When did Jesus know me? and love me. Or we can think, oh, when he was in heaven before he came to earth, or when he returned to heaven at the ascension, and of course he knows me and loves me. No, listen, no. Listen, 
Jesus knew and loved me during his life, during his life on earth, during his agony and his passion. He knew you. One of my favorite quotes from Henri de Lubac in his book, Paradoxes of Faith, is that um, is the idea that the authentic witness doesn't speak to a crowd, but speaks to an individual, even when there's a whole crowd in front of him or her, that each one of them feels personally addressed. And now, now I'm paraphrasing. Each one of them feels like he knows me. How does he know me? He's speaking like he, he, he intercepted my emails or my text messages. People used to say, it's like, is he reading my mail or my diary? Now it's, is he reading my text messages and my, <laughs> my, my emails um, or my snaps, right? <laughs> okay. He, Jesus, doesn't see a crowd. He doesn't look down and see billions. And even on earth. Okay, now listen, when he's on earth, when he is um, healing the blind man, casting out demons, when he is on the Sermon on the Mount, I love to use the Sermon on the Mount example because uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you imagine Jesus standing there preaching and then here is this large gathered crowd that he's, he's preaching to. But I want you to imagine, I want you to hold this in your mind because this is true, that as Jesus is gazing upon each of these individual souls in front of them and he knows each of them by name, he knows each of them in his mind, in his heart, He's casting his eyes down across the centuries, down across the centuries, across two millennia, across billions of people. It's not just the people physically in front of him there, but Jesus knew and loved each of these people who would come to exist over the course of the 2,000 years that separates us from that moment. And all of those billions, he knew individually. He was speaking to individually. That includes you. So whenever you read any of the parables, whenever you read the Gospels and you see any of the teaching, whenever you see signs where Jesus says he looked at the crowd, he speaks to the crowd, remember this, Jesus doesn't see a crowd, he sees you. He sees individuals. And he is addressing them, oh no, wait a minute, you as an individual. Why? Because he loves you. How's that possible? How can he possibly be there physically in one place, in one moment in history as a human being, but also know me 2,000 years later? The answer is he was fully human and fully divine, and fully divine. And so in his divine nature, he is able to communicate perfectly, right? This perfect communion between the human and the divine. It's called the theandric union of the God-man, which allows him to know and love each of us. And, and I know that that's not something that we normally think of because um, that is, it just seems to be too much, but it's, it's very common or it's more common for us to focus on the fact that Jesus died for all of the sins of the world, right? And, and maybe we don't think about it in terms of personal implications, um, even though it mentions that here, that 
He was pierced for our sins. No, he was pierced for your sins. Your sins pierced Jesus's heart. No, my sins pierced Jesus's heart. It wasn't just Longinus with his spear that pierced Jesus's heart, but in the revealed when Jesus revealed his heart to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in the 18th century France, uh, he revealed a heart that had been pierced and was bleeding, pierced by your sins, my sins. I did that to him. And so we have a better sense of that. We have a better sense of the fact that he knew me because of my sins, but to think about it and say, wait a minute, no, he knows me and love and was loving me when he was on earth and when he was teaching and preaching and healing. He was sending a message, casting a message down through the millennia that says, I know you. I know you. I know what you're going through. I know what you're suffering and I love you. And it was not only during his life, not only during his life, but the catechism draws out three other moments during his agony, as he was agonizing in the garden, he was thinking of you. When he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done, he was experiencing all of our resistance, all of our darkness, the too muchness of the weight of sin of the world. And he, he saw you and he loved you. And he went through his agony, even though he sweated blood. He loved you. He did it for you. He had you in mind. There's a, an encyclical referenced here in the second part of this paragraph, paragraph 478. It's from Pius XII. Oh, oh sorry, that's not the right one. Uh, there is an encyclical um, on, by Pius XI on the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and in it, it he references the agony in the garden. And he says that we can take up many positions in that mystery, but the position we ought to strive to take up is the position of the comforting angel, that the angel was comforting Jesus as he went through his agony. And now remember, remember this, remember paragraph 478 in Pius XI is also speaking to that same truth that Jesus knew and loved us during his agony, and he knew us. Well, one of the things that Pius XI says that Jesus can know, that Jesus can encounter, even in the garden right now, is our loving him back. You can love Jesus in the garden. How mysterious is that? You can love Jesus in the garden today. In this great feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the solemnity, say to Jesus in the garden, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you, and I'm so sorry for what I've contributed to your darkness, to your agony. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me, Jesus. I love you, and I want my voice and my love to be a consolation to you in the garden. Powerful stuff. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So today in the program, I'm reflecting on the most sacred heart of Jesus. It's Again, it's a beautiful solemnity. It's a high holy day. It's not a holy day of obligation, but boy, it's it's given a high rank in the feasts as, as a way of drawing attention to the importance of this reality of the heart of Christ, the heart of Christ that has a personal love for you. And so I'm encouraging you today, if you can, go to Mass, make that a priority, fit that in, somehow get that to happen, 
get to mass. If you can't get to mass, get to get in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And when you do, there's this prayer. I'm going to be praying a little later on in the program that just is, it is painfully difficult for me to pray that prayer with any sense of deep authenticity. It's that difficult a prayer, but it is so profound and beautiful a prayer that I want you to be exposed to it. I want you to hear it. It's an act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's a traditional prayer. It's found in the Roman Missal of 1962 in the back. But we're still in paragraph 478 where Jesus knew and loved you during his life, uh, right? During his agony, but during his passion, he knew and loved you. So I want you to think about his being scourged at the pillar, his being crowned with thorns, his carrying the cross. The next time that you pray the sorrowful mysteries, today, the next time that you do the stations of the cross, hopefully, do that soon. Think about the reality that Jesus, as he was undergoing these mysteries, these incredible tortures, full of suffering, not only physical, but spiritual, even more profoundly, is that he was loving you and knowing you. He had you in his mind's eye as he was going through this. You, not us, you. It's that personal. So when I say that I want my kids to have a a relationship with Jesus that is personal, and by personal I mean it's intimate, it is personal, it's profound, and it's life-giving. That I mean personal to that level that you have a sense of gazing upon the Lord in prayer and that as he's looking at you, you're like, I know that the living Lord sees me and knows what I'm going through, but I'm also coming to realize that he knew me when he was on earth and he was with me going through what I was going through and that I can be with him as well. I can be with him as he goes through what he is going through and he can sense that. He can know that. It's, it's mind-boggling, this mystery. So ponder the passion. Ponder that passion from the standpoint that he, was th- he had you in mind. You might even watch the movie The Passion. And with, with the one point of reflection, I'm going to it every step and stage. Think about the fact that he was thinking of me. He was loving me. He was doing this for me. And then all the way to the end, the fourth one, right? During his life, his agony, his passion, and he gave himself up for you. He died on the cross for you. He went through that agony, that torture, that crucifying death for you. And that's what the Feast of the Sacred Heart, this great solemnity, that's what this solemnity is meant to communicate to the church is just how profound, how intimate, how personal, and how life-giving the love of Jesus Christ is and is intended to be in your life. And so um, today, when you think about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, you might think of a picture. I'm going to give you a little preview on Monday um, on Sound Insight. uh, Father Lewis and Father Nagel and I are going to reflect on the 
most sacred heart of Jesus because we pre-record on Fridays. And so on that feast day itself, we're going to talk about enthronement to the sacred heart of Jesus. I'm going to be asking these good fathers about their own devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus and um, talk about some of the, some beautiful uh, uh, insights, uh, insights, uh, revealed uh, uh, teachings uh, that Jesus gave to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, uh, that beautiful French sister um, who received the revelation of the most sacred heart of Jesus. And so we'll be exploring that together on Monday. So I won't talk so much about um, the reality of enthronement, but picture, right? You tend to think of the picture of the sacred heart of Jesus. Today, I'm trying to help that reality of a picture become enfleshed in your own life. Well, one of the powerful ways to make a, a truth like that take flesh in our lives is prayer, is prayer. And so there are a number of prayers that have grown up around the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I don't have time, obviously, to dig into a lot of them. Uh, you can Google them for sure. But one of the more famous ones is this act of reparation to the most sacred heart of Jesus. And so it's it's too long for me to read the whole thing and then um, and then go back and comment on it. Actually, maybe I should. It's worth hearing the entire prayer straight through. But I'm going to give you a little heads up. Let me call it a, like a holy warning. If you start amening this prayer, you're going to start saying, uh-oh, what did I just say yes to? So just fair warning that when you hear this prayer, you're going, well, I don't know, maybe you're a lot holier than I am. And you're going to say, huh, this is like a mid-range prayer. <laughs> this is like more than a three ball if I'm going to use a basketball. This is like a half-court shot. No, this is like a full-court shot. Um, so I'm going to read the prayer. And then I'll come back, and I, and I won't highlight the whole thing because it, it would take way more than a program can give. But please hear this act of reparation to the sacred heart of Jesus. Well, and what you're going to hear is a heart full of love for Jesus in what love actually senses in the beloved. Okay. So I'm going to pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh, sweet Jesus, whose overflowing charity for men is requited by so much forgetfulness, negligence, and contempt. Behold us prostrate before your altar, eager to repair by a special act of homage the cruel indifference and injuries to which thy loving heart is everywhere subject. Mindful, alas, that we ourselves have had a share in such great indignities, which we now deplore from the depths of our hearts. We humbly ask your pardon and declare our readiness to atone by voluntary expiation, not only for our own personal offenses, but also for the sins of those who, straying far from the path of salvation, refuse in their obstinate infidelity, 
to follow you, their shepherd and leader, or renouncing the vows of their baptism, have cast off the sweet yoke of your law. We are now resolved to expiate each and every deplorable outrage committed against you. We are determined to make amends for the manifold offenses against Christian modesty in unbecoming dress and behavior, for all the foul seductions laid to ensnare the feet of the innocent, for the frequent violation of Sundays and the holy days, and the shocking blasphemies uttered against you and your saints. We wish also to make amends for the insults to which your vicar on earth and your priests are subjected, for the profanation by conscious neglect or terrible acts of sacrilege, of the very sacrament of divine love of your divine love, and lastly for the public crimes of nations who resist the rights and, te- and the teaching authority of the church which you have founded. Would, O divine Jesus, we were able to wash away such abominations with our blood. We now offer, in reparation for these violations of your divine honor, the satisfaction you did once make to your eternal Father on the cross, and which you do continue to renew daily on our altars. We offer it in union with the acts of atonement of your Virgin Mother, and all the saints, and of the pious faithful on earth. And we sincerely promise to make recompense as far as we can with the help of your grace for all the neglect of your great love and for the sins we and others have committed in the past. Henceforth, we will live a life of unwavering faith, of purity of conduct, of perfect observance of the precepts of the gospel, and especially that of charity. We promise to the best of our power to prevent others from offending you and to bring as many as possible to follow you. O loving Jesus, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our model in reparation, deign to receive the voluntary offering we make of this act of expiation. And by the crowning gift of perseverance, keep us faithful unto death in our duty and the allegiance we owe to you, so that we may all one day come to that happy home where you with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, God, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so where do I begin? I, well, let me begin with the the key point that as you heard this prayer, my guess is my 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 own thought is that you realized or you sensed this is a big prayer. I mean, this is a prayer of someone who has an intense love of Jesus and who has a sensitivity to uh, the various sins that are committed against the Lord. Um, and 
and here's the thing. When you pray a prayer like this, when you pray a prayer, this is an extensive prayer. It is a profound prayer. It is, it's a prayer of making a number of assertions that um, something happens to the person who says it. And if you remember, when I, when I brought this up before, in the context of developing your prayer life, and in developing your prayer life, when you pray the scriptures, uh, especially the Psalms, where there's a lot of I statement prayers, or when you pray these big prayers, like this particular act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, one of three things is going to happen when you pray a big prayer like this. The first is that in reading this prayer, you'll say, oh my goodness, this is so big. It is beyond me. I am, I, I don't want to pray this prayer. It's just too much. So that's one thing that can happen. The second thing that can happen is that someone will pray this prayer and in, in, you know, they'll read the words, but the magnitude of what they're saying hasn't really sunken in. And as a result of that, they might come back and pray it again and then pray it again and, and make it a habit of praying this prayer. And, and here's the thing, familiarity in this instance doesn't breed contempt, but familiarity breeds a sense of unawareness where we don't realize what we're saying. And so we kind of glaze over the actual meaning of the words, especially as they relate to our own lives. And the third thing that will happen is that when we pray a big prayer like this and we sense the gap that exists between who we are and what this prayer is saying we are, what we do and how we live, and how this prayer is stating we intend to live or are in fact living, that gap, well, it'll start to close and will become the prayer. So those are the three options when you pray a big prayer. You pray a big prayer and you will become the prayer, you will become oblivious to the prayer, or you, in recognizing just what's at stake in saying that prayer, stop praying that prayer. And so, did you ever think that, like, there's so much at stake in praying a prayer like this? <laughs> well, there is. So, when I think about this, this prayer, I'm not sure there's one that I've ever prayed where I feel such a distance between what this prayer is stating that I actually believe and how I am actually living or going to live, and what I'm actually doing. So when I said before I prayed this prayer that this prayer made statements and, and put the statements in my mouth, the prayer of this, the prayer of this prayer, that just weren't true. And I got to admit, I was very tempted to just say, Lord, I, I'd have more integrity just to not pray this prayer than to pray this prayer and not mean it. And I, I, I got to tell you, it was, it was very humbling. It was a very humbling thing. When we come back, um, I'll just I'll say just one more like final comment about that. And then I want to go to the 12 promises that of the Sacred Heart. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. So I'll tell you what, uh, I love hearing from you folks. Uh, I encourage you to go to mycatholicfaith.org um, or go to my new real estate website, drtomcurran.com. I love serving Catholics. I love serving those who are discerning a move. I love those who are saying, you know what? I see that there is a change happening in the market and now is the time for me to sell. Uh, the prices have gone up so much, a house has appreciated, and you've been thinking of moving, or you've sensed that for your family, this is the right time. If I can be of service to you, please be in touch. You can go to drtomcurran.com. You can contact me there, or you can, in fact, go to mycatholicfaith.org, and you'll see a way of contacting me there as well. Even if you're just like wanting a conversation about we're thinking about moving. We're not sure. Again, I can serve folks in Washington, in the state of Washington, as well as in the state of Idaho. I'm licensed in both states. And I love, again, being able to integrate and incorporate faith aspects into my work as a real estate agent. You'll find some videos on the drtomcurran.com website that um, give you a sense of what it's like to work with me from people who have actually worked with me. And so if I can be of service to you again, you can email me at tom at drtomcurran.com. Or just go to drtomcurran.com and you'll see a way to contact me there. Okay. Well, today is this solemnity of the sacred heart of Jesus. And I just prayed that act of reparation to the sacred heart of Jesus. And my last, my last word on it is find this prayer and try praying it. Try praying that prayer. Maybe today, find that prayer and bring it in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Because you see the definite connection between this devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and a devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Why? Well, the Blessed Sacrament is the real living presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And the Sacred Heart is a symbol of that love of Christ that was poured out in his passion and death on the cross. So very natural that there would be a link between the two. Okay, I mentioned um, that St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was the recipient of these visions of Jesus who revealed to her his heart and asked that a devotion to his heart would spread in the church as a way of overcoming sin, as a way of fostering devotion uh, to, to God and fidelity to God. Um, well, Jesus made some promises of the Sacred Heart of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary, uh, promises to those who would honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus and would promote that devotion. So there were 12 promises. And um, I, I want to dig into these 12 promises because they, if you're looking for motivation, like my kids are like, Dad, we went to adoration because we knew there was ice cream, that we would go get an ice cream afterwards. And we didn't always do that, but we did it enough that it was intimately linked with the idea of going to adoration. <laughs> these are This is better than ice cream. If you want to have a, a rationale for... Um, making the nine first Fridays and fostering devotion, then fulfilling the requirements of the nine first Fridays, going to going to mass nine Fridays and first Fridays in a row, 
in honor of uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus and, and other things that are connected with that. Um, and then spreading devotion. Here are the uh, promises. I will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. And and that's beautiful, right? But you think, well, that's something that the Lord was going to do anyways, huh? And the answer is, the Lord makes available all the graces necessary for our state in life. He makes them available. But making them available and receiving them are two different things. And fostering this devotion and, and, and doing fulfilling these requirements is a way of saying, Lord, what you've made available to me, I want that to come to me. Lord, I want to receive all the graces I need to fulfill my state in life. And there, there are three states in life, right? So there's the married state, there's the consecrated religious state, that, that could be a brother or a sister, a nun, um, and the priestly state. Those are the three states in life um, that uh, are part of the, the church's way of understanding uh, vocations. Okay, the second... I will establish peace in their homes. Make it personal. I will establish peace in your home. You're lacking peace in your home? Yeah, yep, I'll, I'll raise my hand. Are you lacking peace in your marriage? You're lacking peace in, in your kids and their relationships together? Uh, are they not at peace with their own lives? Do you want peace to be established in your home? Yes, of course we do. Remember, peace is that tranquility that comes when things are in good order. So uh, I won't talk about the enthronement to the Sacred Heart of Jesus much today, but just in passing, one of the beautiful ways of, of saying you are going to promote the, uh, the um, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is to enthrone the holy image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And that's often accompanied by the enthronement of the image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And uh, it's something that we did. It's something that Father Lewis came and led us in the prayers. There were prayers that we prayed in, in preparation leading up to the, um, the enthronement um, ritual. And then uh, we still have those um, holy images in a place of honor. It's obvious to anyone who comes in, there's the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It's the place where we have our family meetings. It's the place where we have our family prayer. Um, third, I will comfort them in all their afflictions. Comfort. When I pray with people um, who are seeking healing, um, one of the things that will often come about is that one of the fundamental aspects of healing is knowing and experiencing the comfort of Jesus and his holy presence. Let me say that again. When people come and they are disturbed on the inside, they're just they're emotionally uh, like stirred up because they are desirous for some form of healing that when I pray with them, I, I do pray for healing of, of a variety of sorts. Often it's physical healing, but healing of, of whatever the, the particulars are. And what often, what often comes, especially in times of serious illness, is that the healing is knowing that Jesus is here. I know he's with me. 
and I sense his comforting presence, that he is here. And if he is here, he has come to be with me in in a tangible way, come to to be with me, to bring his comfort to me, then you know what? I'm going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. So I know that many of you listening can be struggling with the reality of, Lord, I just long for some of that serenity, that tranquility. I long to know the presence, your presence, Lord, your living presence, that you are with me and comforting me. Foster devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. It's a promise. He'll comfort you in all, not some, not most, not many, all your afflictions. Number four, I will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. I will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. And and boy, when do you want to have a a refuge in Jesus? Yeah, how about at your death, right? How many of us, when we think about, um, we think about our death, we were talking about this in the car ride home recently. I had about four, four of my kids in the car and they were talking about the second coming of Christ and what was that going to be like. And uh, it was a, sort of a frightening thought. And I'm like, you do realize that being concerned about the end of the world is one thing. You should be more concerned about the end of your world. But if you thought about the end of your world, your death, as being a moment of coming into a secure refuge with my Lord, who's taking care of me, well, that is very comforting. That is, that's game-changing. And so now death is no longer a threat, but death is simply um, a passing from the secure refuge that I'm experiencing in this veil of tears to the secure refuge that the Lord has established me forever in heaven. Number five, I will bestow abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. Wow. I mean, the Lord is like, he's, he's taking out some big guns here in the blessings that he's promising. Abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. Wow. When I think about lead, provide, protect, when I think about the Lord leading me, uh, you know, this lays it out very powerfully. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm going through, uh, in this section of the program, the 12 promises that uh, Jesus made to St. Margaret Mary um, that he would perform uh, for those who foster devotion and fulfilled this requirement of the devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. And I've gone through five of them. Gone through quickly, but I want to make sure I get through the 12 in the time that remains here. Number six, sinners will find in my heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. Sinners will find in my heart the source of mercy and an infinite ocean of mercy. Now, as soon as you hear that ocean of mercy, immediately many of you would think about St. Faustina, who also was 
used by the Lord in the 20th century to reveal the Divine Mercy devotion, which, if you take a look at those two, they're very similar. They're very similar uh, uh, themes and realities where Jesus is revealing something of his heart. And the devotion to the Sacred Heart is one thing, and now the devotion to Divine Mercy, uh, the ocean of mercy. Um, and, and who's going to find in the heart, in Jesus' heart, a source, an infinite ocean of mercy? Sinners. It's not us, not saints, not holy ones. It's sinners, those who are or who have chosen to b- betray Jesus, those who have chosen to reject Jesus or his way. Those are the ones who are going to find mercy in the heart of Jesus. It's something that I do just as a practice, like a devotional practice, is that I will often, in my, in my imagination, and along that with my interior thinking, I will plunge into the heart of Jesus those loved ones of mine who are struggling, the situations that they're facing. The idea of plunging loved ones into the heart of mercy, into the ocean of mercy, into the sacred heart of Jesus. It's a beautiful, it can become a beautiful habit. And it can become a a real source of consolation. And so I want to encourage you to do that. If you're struggling with someone right now, plunge them into the heart of Jesus. How do you do that? You know, it it sounds it sounds just poetic. Well, no, you can just say Jesus. Remember now, Saint Margaret Mary, and we'll we'll talk about this on Monday. Saint Margaret Mary, the revelation she had of Jesus's heart was that this heart was enormous, and that her heart, when she was asked to plunge her heart into the heart of Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus's heart was just a little bit bigger and her heart could just about fit in that heart. No, it was this cavernous, this enormous heart. And her heart was like a little atom, like a little grain of sand, just a little atom going into this furnace of love. That's how big the heart of Jesus is. And then it continues on, that lukewarm souls shall become fervent. I love that because it feels to me like too many of us Catholics live our lives like lukewarm souls. And that's not just a a way for me to say, so many of you listening to me are unlike me, a fervent soul. You're lukewarm. And I hope and pray that you'll discover this devotion so that you too can make the journey from a lukewarm soul to a fervent soul. If there was any remnant of that in me, all I needed to do was to read the act of reparation to the sacred heart of Jesus to realize how tepid my soul is, how weak my soul is, and how uh, that prayer was the prayer of a fervent soul. And I got to tell you, I need to pray that prayer more so that I can become a fervent soul. Number eight is that fervent souls shall quickly mount to high perfection. And, you know, we say we want to grow, right? We do. We say we want to grow in the spiritual life. We, we say that that is a, a priority. Prayer is a priority. Our relationship with God is so critical and important. But I got to tell you, 
the great majority of folks who I talk to that um, if they unveil anything about their lives in terms of the fervor in their souls for their faith, it most often comes out intellectually. They really are hungry for learning the church's teaching, exploring the church's teaching, and especially defending the church's teaching, or using the church's teaching as a critique of some of the false uh, false ideas that are present and so active in our schools and in the public square. And so the idea of um, fervor in souls for prayer, for penance, for making acts of expiation, I, gosh, I don't meet many fervent souls like that. Maybe, maybe there are some listening who are uh, maybe feeling a little stirring on the inside to say, you know what, I want to pray to become a fervent soul. I want to, I want to quickly mount to high perfection. I, I want that. I don't want to settle. I don't want to sound like Tom when I'm 57. <laughs> I don't want to sound like Tom. Like here I am reading a big prayer and just feeling like I want to back down. This is, this is, this is too much. It can feel like. Um, number nine. Number nine says, I will bless every place in which an image of my heart is exposed and honored. Boy, oh boy, it, do you need to go on, right? Come on, how, how much more do you need before you'll want to go run out quickly to the your good local Catholic bookstore and purchase a, a, a holy image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and then get the Immaculate Heart of Mary too? And then talk to your local priest about um, doing the prayer of enthronement. It's awesome if you can have your pastor or priest do it um, um, so that you get the, um, the holy images blessed, etc. So a beautiful ritual. And number 10, I will give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts. Wow. I will give to priests the gifts of touching the most hardened hearts. And you think about it, it makes sense, right? This is a devotion to what? the sacred heart of Jesus, a heart that's pierced and open, is passionate, and is full with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Well, priests who are devoted to the sacred heart are going to have his heart living in them more fully, more profoundly, in a more life-giving way. And so, just like Jesus could break through resistance with the glance of his eyes, with the word of his mouth, with the point of his finger— cutting through. Jesus and his heart live in our holy priests. And you can see hardened hearts be touched when you have these priests that have this devotion to the heart of Christ. So what's the conclusion I have? Not enough priests have a devotion to the heart of Christ. <laughs> it's a sad way of saying it, but you can begin with the results. If the results are how many hardened sinners have been drawn back to faith through the words and ministry of our priests, it seems as if the, the demographic story goes in entirely the other direction, that they, the uh, a significant, a meaningful percentage of our parishioners have fallen away from the faith, have stopped the practice of the faith, have become hardened— to the faith, rather than um, have been softened 
with regards to the heart of Christ. It's just pure numbers. Um, okay, number 11. So pray for your priest. Pray for your priest to, to, to fall in love with that devotion. Number 11. Those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart. I mean, talk about a tender invitation. Uh, this idea that, um, that you can have a special place in the heart of Christ if you promote this devotion. Again, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? And then here's the 12th promise. I promise you, in the excessive mercy of my heart, that my all-powerful love will grant to all those who receive Holy Communion on the first Friday in nine consecutive months the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in my disgrace, nor without receiving the sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safe refuge in the last moment. You know, it's sort of like saving the best for last. Uh, anybody here not want to make the nine first Fridays? You got a, you got a time right now. My son John Mark and I were, we spent 15 minutes today trying to figure out when we were going to be able to get him to Mass tomorrow because it's a school day so that he can uh, be sure to make the first Friday and receive Holy Communion. So it, it might take some effort, but you can do it. Look at how much is at stake. All these blessings ready to be poured into your life. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. I'm glad I got through the 12 promises. I do pray God's blessings on your day, on your weekend, and join me on Monday for more sound insight. Happy feast, solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus.